We're going to continue our study through Jude, Uh, so please turn to Jude with me. Um, When I was growing up, lived in Michigan, Detroit area, we would take road trips for our vacation. Oftentimes we would hop on to I-75 and just drive south. I've got family in Tennessee and my grandparents would stay the winters in Florida, so we would typically... Uh, spend a night in Tennessee and then hit Florida and then hit Tennessee on the way back. And I have to admit that Ohio was always just in the way of where we were going. And then I met my wife, and uh, now I'm living here. and got family here, so uh, it's good to be here in Ohio. Um, on these road trips, before we had any electronics or anything to keep us children occupied. My parents would sometimes buy us these uh, little coloring books that had different activities in them. One of the activities uh, was there would be two different pictures. They looked the same, but you had to try to find the differences. You guys remember those uh, little activities? So you had to be looking. I I like art, so that was always fun for me. I was trying to find the little differences um, between the two pictures. And this morning, we're going to do something a little similar to that. Uh, Jude has been up to this point describing to us and painting a pretty good picture of these people that have crept into the church. He's painted a very vivid picture of these people, and he is now going to contrast that with the people of God, uh, who we are to be in the church. And so he does this by teaching us how to contend for the faith, uh, what the people of God should look like. So Jude teaches us to contend for the faith by remembering the scriptures, by keeping yourself in the love of God, by waiting for the mercy of God, and by showing mercy to others. And this is what we're going to be looking at this morning. So uh, we're going to start, I'm going to read in verse 16 of Jude, and we read to verse 23. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters and showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Lord, uh, As we open your word this morning, we come to you, I I ask that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would be working in us and reveal sin in our life, that by your grace we may repent and, and turn towards you, that we may be a people who worship you with our, with our whole heart, that our delight would be found in you. Amen. So last week, again, we looked at 
five different characteristics of the people who have crept into the church. And now we have some distinction. Verse 16 says, These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. And the first two words after this sentence are, But you. This is a clear separation here. A clear distinction. But you. You are to be different. And the first way to contend for the faith is to remember what the apostles said. He tells them to remember. Now, why, why is he telling them to remember something? Well, first of all, we're forgetful. Back in first, verse 5, he says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it. We see that we are a people that need to work on remembering, because otherwise we can forget. We need to constantly remember the gospel, remembering the good news. Second Timothy 2.8 says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. There are a lot of things in life that can distract us, especially right now. Remember the gospel. Let the good news of Jesus Christ drive your life rather than getting caught up in all of what's happening in the world around us. And although in general we need to remember the gospel, the word of God, Judas specifically calling for them to remember what the apostles said. And why is this? And I believe that part of why he is telling them to remember what the apostles said is to encourage them. It's hard when we see people in the church fall away. That's discouraging. It's discouraging when we see church leaders following after their own passions and encouraging people in their sin. Jude says, Remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. The people Jude is addressing are seeing this happen within their church. And Jude is saying, look, the apostles said that this was going to happen. And I believe that we can find encouragement here. The scriptures are true. They're seeing the evidence of the truth of what the apostles said. And we're still, still seeing this truth today, aren't we? This is similar to what's said in Second Peter, verse Chapter 3, verse 3, which says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. But Peter wasn't the only apostle who predicted this and warned that this would happen. Paul warns the elders in Ephesus about fierce wolves coming from among the church. He says in Acts chapter 20, verses 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. 
remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul says here, there will be wolves who come up from among the church. Scripture teaches some hard truths, and this is one of them, that people will arise from in the church and and be wolves. But it is encouraging to know that the scripture is true. What Paul said is true. What Peter said is true. The people Jude is writing to are also seeing and experiencing what the apostle said would happen. So this is an encouragement and also a warning to to be on guard and to contend. We need to be people who pay careful attention to ourselves that we may be, not be swept away in sin and become those fierce wolves that lead each other astray. And all of this is reminiscent of what Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount. In Matthew 7, starting at verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And grapes gathered are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad, bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Jude next gives us some more information. He's described for us through most of the letter, what these people look like and their characteristics. And he gives us some more description of the fruit of their lives. Like Jesus said, you'll recognize them by their fruits. And here are the things he says their life produces. They are scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. They cause divisions and are worldly people who are devoid of the Spirit. We speak out of the overflow of our heart. And scoffing is scornful derision. It's a mocking speech. It has the purpose of tearing down rather than building up. And this is specifically done in a way that divides the church. It divides the sheep, the people of God. This is not how the body of Christ should relate to each other. Scoffing speech can lead to divisiveness in the church. And I want to briefly answer Uh, an objection that could be raised here. Someone could point to Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 49, which says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be Five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This is Jesus speaking. Someone could say, but Jesus, he came to cause division, see? But there's a flaw in this argument and in this thinking. Jesus did not come to cause division among his own sheep. The division that Jesus is talking about here is a division between those who believe in him and those who don't. 
Jesus divides the sheep from the goats, the believers from the unbelievers. Dividing the sheep from each other is a tactic of the enemy. The enemy of the sheep is used to tear down the church rather than building it up. So here's another distinction. They cause division, but the church is to build itself up. Jude says, But you, again, here in verse 20, we are in contrast to those who scoff and cause divisions, which leads us into the next way Jude teaches us to contend for the faith. Uh, The second way to contend for the faith is to keep yourself in the love of God. Now, if you, if you look at these verses, you'll notice that I skipped ahead a little bit to verse 21. The reason I did this is because the two preceding actions of building yourself up in the faith and praying in the Holy Spirit are two of the three ways that Jude means for us to keep ourselves in the love of God. We are called to keep ourselves in the faith by being built up in the faith, praying in the Spirit, and waiting for the mercy of Christ. And before we look at these three things, let's briefly talk about keeping in the faith. If we look back at verse 1, we see that Christians are kept for Jesus Christ. And if we look at verse 24, we see that God is able to keep you from stumbling. So who is it here that does the keeping? In verse 1 and in verse 24, we see that we are the ones, that we are not the ones who are doing the keeping. God is the one doing the keeping. And yet in verse 21, we are told to keep ourselves. John Piper had something helpful to say about this. Uh, he says, over and over in the Bible, we see this. God's action is decisive. Our action is dependent. And both actions are essential. So I urge you again to resist the mindset that cynically says, if God is the decisive keeper of my soul for eternal life, then I don't need to keep myself in the love of God. That would be like saying, since God is the decisive giver of life, then I don't need to breathe. God's keeping inspires and sustains our keeping. His keeping is decisive, and our keeping is dependent on his. I found this helpful. It fits into the conversation about God's divine sovereignty and man's responsibility. God is able and will keep his children. And this truth encourages us to keep ourselves in the love of God. God keeps his children so that that they will persevere and will not lose their salvation. So let's look at how we do this. Jude says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. We minimize the influence of scoffers and those who cause division by building ourselves up in the faith. Instead of being people who bring about division, we contrast ourselves from those who have crept in the church by unifying the church. So what are some ways that we can build ourselves up, to build each other up? One way is to use the gifts God has provided to us to us each individually, in order to build each other up. This is part of the function of the church. We are to use our spiritual gifts to build each other up, not to glorify ourselves or bring attention to ourselves. Every Christian has a spiritual gift that is meant to be used within the church to build it up. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Our spiritual gifts are meant to build each other up, specifically in love. This is why we have the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says that we can have all the greatest gifts, but without love, it's nothing. When each part in the body of Christ is working properly, we will build ourselves up in love. We have the scriptures that equip us with truth, is the revelation of God, the gospel builds us up, and we have the gifts of the Spirit to build up the church. Another way we can build each other up is how we speak with each other. I just read about speaking the truth in love. Uh, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. Then may give grace to those who hear. The way we talk to each other is important. The words we say have influence upon each other. And not only the words we say, but how we say them. Our, our tone of voice and our body language play into how we communicate with each other. Our call as believers is to build each other up with what we speak and, and how we speak to each other. That our tone would be loving. That we would not corrupt people with what we say or how we say it. That our words and our tone would not tear down, but build up. In this way, we imitate God who spoke life into existence. And so our words should be words of life, not death. That people would receive grace by what we say and and how we say it. Now, I, I believe this means we should be encouraging to each other in the Lord, Something that I'm personally not very good at is uh, praising and encouraging godliness when I see it, especially in my kids. Um, I need to grow in this area. There can be a temptation to, when we see specifically my kids being obedient, to be like, well, this is what I expect from you. Rather than to encourage that and and praise that and, and encourage them. And so when we see each other and excelling and and godliness, let's celebrate that and encourage that. Build each other up um, in noticing the godliness in each other's lives. Encouraging godliness builds up the church. It also helps us to not always have a critical eye that is always ready to correct. Be on the look for godliness in each other's lives and encourage each other in that. Also, encouraging someone in the Lord can come in the form of gracious and loving rebuke or correction. So I'm not saying we should avoid sin and only talk about things that make each other feel good. That's nice and good and and even needed, but not the whole story. Building each other up can involve addressing each other's sin as well. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is part of what it means to build each other up, to confront someone in sin with gentleness. The gentleness and tenderness of this reflects a humble disposition because it shows that you know that you yourself are also vulnerable to sin. 
which is why the verse says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. In confronting sin, coming in a spirit of gentleness expresses that you are not against the person, but that you are for them. Coming in a spirit of gentleness expresses that you do not see yourself as better than them or above them. It expresses that you want the best for them and are willing to walk alongside them through the process of defeating sin and putting sin to death in their life. Gentleness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness is evidence of a humble disposition. And gentleness is is not weakness. Remember, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Build yourselves up and each other up in the faith by encouraging each other in the Lord. Remind each other of the gospel. Remind each other of the saving work of Christ on your behalf. And let the love of Christ inspire you towards obedience to Christ. We also keep ourselves in the love of God by praying in the Holy Spirit. The world looks down on prayer. The world scoffs at the idea of prayer and believes that praying does nothing to help a situation. The world is wrong. Uh, look how scripture views prayer. 1 Corinthians one eleven. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Prayer is a help. It is a blessing. In 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Requests that are asked of God in accordance to his will, he hears and grants. Isn't this a great blessing to know that the God of the universe hears and grants prayers? This isn't about God being a a magic vending, vending machine to get whatever we want. This is not about our agenda, but instead God's will, asking according to his will. And this is part of what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit. I believe what Jude is talking about is that when we pray, we should not be praying according to our own agenda, but instead be praying in harmony with the will of God by the leading of the Spirit. And God is gracious towards us, and the Spirit intercedes for us when we don't even know what to pray. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is evidence of the love of God, that even when we don't know what to say, what to pray for, that the Spirit himself intercedes on our behalf. This is a great blessing. And when I think of prayer, I I often think about my life and my conversation with my kids. I, I love talking with my kids. I love seeing them excited about whatever they're experiencing in life and hearing from them and their experiences. And there's something just really refreshing about young children being dazzled by the newness of, of life. 
uh, we, we caught a crayfish in the creek, and that was just it was exciting seeing their faces and uh, the joy of the wonder of experiencing that, that, that new thing and hearing from them about that. Um, having moments like that is one of the biggest blessings of, of being a dad. Um, those moments together are building our relationship, and it reminds me of, of prayer, that there's a relationship here. There is communication there. Prayer can be like a relationship of a child with a loving parent, where we go to God as our loving Father. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing. I don't believe this means to literally be praying every moment of our life, because then we wouldn't be able to do anything else. Um, But instead to have an attitude of communion with God throughout our life, an attitude of prayerfulness, living in relationship with God, where we, like little children, share with him and wonder the things that we're experiencing in life and praise him for it, and that we also come to him when we scrape our knee or hurt and find comfort in uh, his loving arms. Remember that if you are saved, you are a child of God and pray in the Holy Spirit. Lastly, we keep ourselves in the love of God by waiting for the mercy of God and giving mercy to others. And so wait for the mercy of God. Throughout Scripture, we see this idea of waiting upon the Lord. Christians are people who, to quote Titus chapter 2, verse 13, are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Waiting and patience is a mark of faith in God. Waiting for God is to place our trust in him and what he has promised is to look forward in hopeful expectation to God keeping his promises. There is a sense in which we have already received the mercy of God, the fact that there is salvation for those who repent and, of their sin and believe in Jesus. As, uh, that part of the mercy, we, we've received that if you believe in, in Jesus. But there is also a mercy yet to come in, in God keeping his promise of eternal life. This is what Jude says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, that leads to eternal life. How is it that waiting for the mercy of God keeps us in the love of God? Waiting for the mercy of God keeps our focus and attention upon God. Our natural tendency is to put matters into our own hands. Waiting upon the Lord requires a humble disposition that knows that we are in need. We are in need of mercy and compassion. Waiting means there isn't anything that we can do. Someone else, God, is working it out for us, and so we wait. This is the gospel message, isn't it? There's nothing that we can do for salvation. Christ has done it all for us. We cannot earn grace, forgiveness, mercy, or compassion. A Christian waits upon the Lord knowing that God is faithful to keep his promises. Mercy is only possible for us because of what Jesus achieved at the cross. Waiting for the mercy of God is to put our sole trust in the work of Christ, to trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in our behalf. As we wait upon the mercy of God, Jude commends us to also be people of mercy. Mercy is an action. 
Now we must remember that this is within the context of the false teachers in the church. There are people in the church that are being influenced by the apostates who need to be shown mercy and corrected. Jude says to have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. All of these people have been influenced away from Christ. And there are three different people here. There are those who doubt, those who are burning, and those who are dangerous. Those who are doubting are in need of being shown mercy. These are probably the people who have unstable souls that, Pe- that Peter mentions. These people are probably Christians, but are not very rooted in their faith. Our mercy and compassion towards them should lead them away from the apostates and toward Christ. When I was growing up, I remember there was a movement within the church about being authentic, being uh, real. And part of the way that someone could show the fact that they were being authentic or being real was to express their doubts about the faith. So expressing doubt became a a sign of authenticity, and it was praised. Um, It almost became a a virtue, and I don't believe this was addressed very well. And now I want to make sure I'm clear. If there is someone who has doubts about the faith, we want them to feel the freedom and safety to express their doubts without being ridiculed. This is part of what it means to show mercy. Remember, we are not to be scoffers. They need to know that the church is a place where they will experience love and care even in the midst of their doubt. That those who doubt would not be discouraged or ostracized because of their doubt. That they will not be mocked or cast out. I pray that we would be a place where love and care is given to those who doubt. I also want to emphasize this. Although we want to have conversations with people who doubt, that doubt is not a virtue. Although we want to be a place where we show mercy to those who doubt, we also want to be a place where we walk that road and have those conversations with people so that they get to a place where they no longer doubt, but are firmly rooted and built up in the faith. Doubt can be a part of our journey, but it shouldn't be our destination. If you are in doubt about the faith, I want to encourage you to come talk to myself or one of the elders. We would love to talk with you, and we would welcome that conversation with you. Um, There are also those who are burning. They are already in the fire. They have followed the apostates who have crept into the church. They are in the fire and need to be snatched out. In Genesis 19, we read, As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him outside the city. Jude has already mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. And this idea of snatching these people out of the fire reminds me of the story with Lot and his family. This is an act of the mercy of God, that they were taken by the hand and removed from the city. To take someone out from the place of danger, 
Just like Lot and his family were living in and among those of Sodom, there are those who have fallen victim to the teachings of the false teachers and need to be taken by the hand and removed in a merciful way. There are also those who are dangerous. It says, To others show mercy with fear. The reason Jude says with fear is to say to be cautious, to be careful. In helping those who have fallen into error, we must watch ourselves so that we do not fall into error as well. When someone is drowning in a pool, the lifeguard needs to take care that they themselves do not drown in the process of saving that person who's drowning. This is the reality. And I pray that our desire for God would be so great that our desire for the world, the other desires of the world, has to offer would be so small in comparison that they wouldn't even cross our mind. We must neither believe that we are above certain sins or certain temptations. We are prone to wander as well. This is what the book of Jude is about. It is about the preservation of of Christians. So Jude has set up this stark contrast between the false teachers and the Christians in in the church in teaching us how to contend for the faith. We are to be people who remember the scriptures. We are to be people who keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in the faith, praying in the spirit, and waiting for the mercy of God. We are to be people who show mercy to others. These ought to be characteristics of our Christian life, but we can fail at this, can't we? I will be the first to admit that there are times that I don't always remember the word of God and times that I need. There are times that my words and tone of voice can tear down rather than build up. I am someone who is in desperate need of mercy and the grace of God. But praise be to God because Jesus has perfectly met all of this for us. By his life, death, and resurrection, we are set free from sin and made blameless before God. And the only way that these characteristics are possible in our life is through the grace and power of Jesus Christ, who has perfectly lived out these characteristics on our behalf. We have received the mercy of Christ. And I would urge you to turn to Christ, to look towards Christ, that he may give you the grace and mercy to live a life contending for the faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a merciful God. That by the life and death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection that mercy, grace, and forgiveness has been made possible for us, that you offer that to us. I ask that we would be a people, a church, a community that build each other up, that we would not be characterized by scoffing each other, but instead we would be characterized by speech that lifts each other up, speech that draws each other more and more towards Christ. Lord, I ask that by your power that we would be a a merciful people, that we would have a humble disposition as we go throughout life, that we would be gentle, that we would show the love of Jesus to all those who are around us. I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.